You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Okay, so I know there are a lot of founders who are working on agencies and they're also working on SaaS products. How did that work for you? Because I think from my perspective, having an agency and a SaaS product sounds like a dream. Like to have both, it seems perfect where you have your clients that are paying you, let's just say $1,000 a month, but then they're also used on your platform. So even after they're done with that kind of initial product, they then need your platform. So they pay you $50, $100 a month or whatever that is. That seems like a perfect world. Look, I, if I did it again, I'd do it better. There wasn't an immediate overlap of the consulting work that I was doing and what the platform mm. offers. There's some, but if I did it again, I'd go for something that was really fully aligned. In the beginning, it worked okay. I had two co-founders that had day jobs and, and worked with me after hours. And along the way, they dropped off. Uh, it was a little too much. And so in the it was really a lot of work. And you know, I've spent a lot of time working with founders, having been involved with startups since 1997. I've done wow. a lot of consulting to startups along the way. And really, I just wasn't moving fast enough. I spent a lot of time helping founders get laser focused on key goals and moving quickly to get there. And with the consulting business, that was already, a, that wasn't a 40 hour week, that was already a 50, 60 hour week anyway. And then to build something on the side, it was just taking too long. And really launching it now, we're launching with some tailwinds and it was really official cut bait kind of moment as I got to the end of last year. That makes sense. That makes sense. I think for me, I'm working. It's funny you say that I'm working with the agency now. I have the agency I've been doing for a while. And now I'm at the point where I have software tools to really serve that customer base. And now I'm nice. starting to work with a co-founder too. And I think having worked solo for so long, it's like nerve wracking having to work with somebody else. What was your journey like having co-founders? Like, was it a good experience for you? Would you work that way again? I would. I, n I never wanted to be a solo founder. All the startups that I'd worked with from 1997 were all co-founded. All of the co-founders, all of the successful ones, well, actually all of them had co-founders. They were made up of co-founders. And to me, that was the natural way to do it. Although if you have a look at the statistics of the big exit, there really isn't one way to do it. There are solo founders, there are two co-founders there are five yeah, co-founders yeah. there's a whole range I've, I've seen it in so many ways it's not really a preference for me it's just i've been just on a no code platform building i took a product to market got customers and it was great and i was like you know what i gotta slow down because some family reasons now i'm mm -hmm. back into it and i have somebody reach out to me and now we're working on it together and it's just been interesting so far i think when i talk to founders too about podcasting or being a guest on shows it's so funny how often they like butt heads on things man that's hilarious 
It is. It's swings and roundabouts. I think it's uh, you have some strong benefits. Being a solo founder, I spend a lot of time trying to get out of my own head. I'm sitting here in this room, having conversations with myself, have, <laughs> having arguments with myself, and it's really good to have somebody to bounce things off and somebody that's inside the business and equally committed. And so if you can find the right co-founder, I still think that would be my preference. In my case, it just didn't it didn't work out. They weren't a great match. For a while, they did help me move it forward. I really can't complain about it either. We got started and, and here yeah. I am. I have a product with revenue and it's growing. They were part of the journey. I love that. And I love how you talked about your work with founders. So I got some other founder-specific questions for you. The first one is about goal setting. What's, I guess, what's the best goals you've seen a founder set? Because for me, making the money, I think money is always going to find its way to you. For me, the purpose of what I'm building is more important than money. Because every time I focused on money with different products and stuff before, it doesn't work out. But when I focus on delivering the value and actually delivering solutions and helping people at the highest level, the money finds me. So what are some of the best goals you've seen? Look, for me, it's it's all about focus and getting really specific. So the, be- the best goals are the ones that really make a meaningful difference to the service uh, or to the customer experience. You need to, I quite a North Star metric, one, one key metric, one key goal to stay focused on. And then when looking at sprints uh, or daily to-do lists, most founders have way too much on their to-do list. They're trying to do too many things. And if you can take a to-do list of 10 or 12 items for a day and cut it down to two or three, that really move the ball forward. That's what matters. And they're the good goals. It's As a founder, in particular, a solo founder, it's so easy to get distracted by shiny new objects or new opportunities. The amount of times that I've been involved with a startup where some big brand name has come along and said, if you change your product, in this way, that's going to be a $10 million revenue source just from us alone. It's those big corporate brands that come in and do that to startups like a Johnson & Johnson or a Coca-Cola or somebody like that. And then it's really easy to get distracted. So the goals that you can stick to that are core to the product uh, or core to what it is that you're trying to build, they're the most important one. I like what you said about the focus of the to-do list, because for me, I limit it to things that I know aren't complicated. And I stopped putting over 10 things on my list because I realized it's just too many. It'll mm-hmm. be small things too. I It seems like it's a lot because I'll include like personal things. If I got to do something for my kids or if there's some other personal obligation, but it never gets past 10. And I realized whenever I put it past 10, I have more of a chaotic day. <laughs> and it's just stuff. But when I keep it at seven or eight, I always get everything done. It's the craziest thing. It's such a coincidence. I actually have two to-do lists. I have my main to-do list and I have a secondary to-do list of kind of quick wins, things that actually move the product or the company forward that aren't a priority. Mm. But if I get to three o'clock in the afternoon, and I usually start at 6 a.m., So if I get to three o'clock in the afternoon and I can't think, I've either just run five pitches back to back, I've been grilled by potential investors, whatever it is, and I can't think, but I still know I need to move the business forward, I jump into my secondary to-do list and that way I I can actually cross things off. And I know they, they actually do move things forward. They're just 
they're not the key stuff. And I know I'm slowing down. I, I want to ask you about something you just mentioned. Does it feel better to you when you have the list where you can cross it off? Do you do yours yeah. digitally or like handwritten? Analog, handwritten. And I've gone backwards and forwards a couple of times conceptually. I love the digital to-do lists and the things you can do with them. But at the end of the day, writing it down and crossing it off is such a powerful human experience that I don't know if it's my age, but it just, for me, it really works. It makes yeah. a big difference. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I talk to a lot of founders now because I'm going to meetups and I'm in Seattle. So Microsoft is here, Starbucks and yeah. all that. And I'm building my own community of founders and I'm finding that so many people are building in the no-code fields and using different tools. And some people are leaving their jobs and starting their own thing as a side hustle. I noticed that so many founders are terrified of marketing. Did you get over, or did you ever have a fear of marketing your product? Look, my, my journey has been fairly long. I started off life as a pure engineer building the first commercial ISP, the internet service providers in Australia. So I was right there at the beginning, a really young, arrogant little engineer and accidentally joined and went from trying to bring people in, connecting people to very quickly trying to keep people out. So I got involved in computer security, accidentally took a job with a Seattle-based computer security startup <laughs> company still around called WatchGuard Technology, but back in 1997, very much a scrappy little startup. Joined as a sales engineer, which you know was my first step towards the dark side, if you like. And then my career took off, became a salesman, sales leadership, sales and marketing leadership, got involved with partnership marketing along the way and another startup and got involved with marketing. Wow. I actually really quite enjoy it. You had an um, insane journey, man. You've been everywhere. <laughs> and I can tell when you tell me you were in Singapore, I'm like, this is probably one of those people that's been everywhere around the world. It makes sense. It makes sense. Now. I've been lucky enough to have experienced a lot of places, but it's been an accidental journey. It's, uh, I didn't sit down with a career advisor and map it out. I was always the guy that went, wow, look at that opportunity. And I was talking about shiny new toys and things like that and how dangerous they are for startups. But that pretty much explains a lot of my early to mid-career. Man, that is, that's an insane journey. So you've been in it since 97. So what, about 25 years now? That is crazy. Yeah, I have a theory that anybody that does one thing for over 10 years is immediately an expert in that thing. Like once you get past 10 years, that's so much time. That's a lot of time. That's 25 birthdays, 25 Christmases. Like it's just a lot. So yeah. let me ask you this. Out of all the startups you've worked with, what's one of the most cautionary things you founders are doing consistently? What's one of the bigger mistakes? Ah, oh, look, there's a couple of big ones. The one that comes to mind immediately, I think to be a founder, you need some sort of level of confidence in your own ability. If you didn't have some sort of baseline, you just, you could never do it. And so I think... It, the, really, the worst found are the ones that think they know it all and yeah. don't build a team that they then listen to. They often hire good people and don't listen to them. And I've seen that time and again. I've seen startups with advisory boards, advisory boards with eight people on them, and they've given away a chunk of capital. Wow. In some cases, they may even be paying for some of these guys, and then they still don't listen to them. So for me, that is hire good people, and mm. that's a common refrain in the industry but hire good people and then actually listen to them, take their advice and let them get on with delivering good work. I think the social aspect kind of plays into that because when you follow mm -hmm. founders on Twitter, they're just absurd. Like they get 
a thousand dollar MRR, and then they're like, "You can't DM me, you can't message me, you got to pay to talk to me, or go talk to that person first. It's crazy yeah. how fast that ascension happens. It's- no, you're right. And uh, startup Twitter is an interesting thing, actually. I'm glad you yeah. brought that up because if you have a look at uh, particularly bootstrap startup Twitter, bootstrapping is the only way. And then on the other side of the coin, you have a look at the capital raising, the people that are overly celebrating closing around, which, you know, is hard work and should be celebrated. That's not an exit. That's not building a business. (laughs) That means you've got some money in the bag. But to them, that's the only way. And I often sit back and I look at these conversations and these flame wars and I'm like, isn't startup, isn't the industry supposed to be about disruption and innovation? (laughs) You have all these people drinking their own Kool-Aid and stuck in their ways. It, It just, it blows my mind. I see it so much because I'm one of the people that I'm, I don't have a desire to get funding and stuff and people sending me a bunch of money. And because I come from a different part of life, a different part of the world. So I know when somebody gives you something, they want something. And for me, I don't want to give anything up until I already have something. But my goal for me personally is just because of where I come from, I have to have a responsibility to build a certain level of wealth. So I can't do that by giving it away. Or I see a lot of people have amazing products and they aren't even trying to market. They're just trying to pitch every day. And I'm confused. Like yeah. you have a good product, go sell it. And they're like, no, we're going to go here and pitch or We're going to this event. And I, I get that that's what they want to do. I don't judge them. But for me, my goal, man, will make me the happiest is having an amazing product that people use. Yeah. Look, and I think you tap into a good point, though. It's horses for courses. If you want to build a new supersonic jet, you can't bootstrap that. You need capital. So deep tech, or if you need to move really fast. And for me, I started off bootstrap, and I only wanted to bootstrap, despite most of the other startups that I've been involved with. I've helped a lot of founders raise previously. And I can tell you, it's a lot easier helping somebody else raise than raising yourself. (laughs) But for me, it was, we were ahead of the market when we started within Tribe. And because it took so long, suddenly we have a moment in time where I need to move really quickly and take advantage of the tailwinds. And so Mm. for me, that was the impetus to go out and raise capital. Now, I'm hoping not to go pre-seed, seed, pre-A, A1, A2, B, C, D, E. I'd like to get to series A or series B and either stop raising and continue to build a massive business or yeah. I love that path you have set up for yourself. And I think for me, the person I'm working with now will probably be a co-founder because we're on the same page, have the same values. Nice. And we really have the same wants where I just, I, this is our exercise we did on the Zoom call. Our second time talking, it was pretty funny. I said, okay, so Let's say, because I think we should talk about the best and worst case scenarios, like any relationship. Yep. Let's say that the company, we put our effort in and it blows up in six months. And we have kind of like Clubhouse. We mm-hmm. have big companies like Spotify comes to us and they're trying to buy the company. What number would you need to hear for you to be like, I'm selling and I'm gone? You know, and I love that question because it was such yeah. an open-minded question for us to get on the same page. And we both said the, ex- the exact same number. It was perfect. So perfect. I'm like, okay, we're on the same page here. Yeah. Perfect. It's, and that's a good thing to have. I've, I worked at a startup a while ago, another Seattle startup. I was looking after global sales. We were neck and neck with GoPro for five mm. years. It was a ride. It was crazy. A lot of really great experiences. But we had a 
buyout off along the way towards the end of that five years where we were neck and neck with GoPro. We had a board. The board rejected the offer. And six months later, the doors closed because that was the time when GoPro raised their $100 million round. They picked the timing perfectly. We raised a smaller round at $7 million. That was the beginning of the end. I went to CES in Vegas and we were wondering where they were going to spend that money. And I look up (laughs) at ESPN and I see a 12 minute ad on ESPN and I'm like, that's where it's going. (laughs) Oh, and that was it. It was all over super quick. We saw the same thing with Clubhouse. Yeah. Clubhouse was right there and I was on it. Yeah. When that number came out of. I was shocked. I was like, okay, they have to be selling this because I just, I want to know from your perspective, how did it feel? I guess it wasn't just your say, but how did that feel to know you had a chance to sell and exit and be out of there and then to look up and then see GoPros about to kill it? Like at what point did you feel, was there sadness or frustration? Like, how did you feel in that moment? Oh, look, all of the above. It was there, there were two things, right? It was shock. There was a moment of clarity, though, for years, for all of the five years where we were competing and we were picking different technologies. GoPro went down the 3D path for a little while, and we were first to market with an HD wearable cam, and the lead kept changing. And But that whole time, we kept asking ourselves, how big is this? We started off with the hardcore, with the base jumpers and the downhill mountain bikers and motocross and all of that. How many people are going to own one of these? How many people are going to want one of these? We didn't imagine tourists walking around Paris in the summer just holding up their GoPros, oh, you know, man, take, right? taking home movies. So when I saw that, my first thought was, oh, shit. And then it was just like, they know something we don't. And very quickly, it just became clear. The market exploded and it was world domination by then. But it was sad because we had a lot of fun. It was a great team. We'd built some really cool tech. We had we were the first to actually have the Bluetooth connected to the camera so you could actually see what the camera was seeing. Uh, It's another one of those stories. The best tech doesn't always win. And like the old beta VHS uh, videotape story. We're a little bit like that. We we were leading, I think, most of the time with the tech. But uh, in the end, I think there there are a number of things that, that defined how it ended. But the picking the timing was really crucial. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something I think about all the time building my company because I've been in the podcast industry for so long now. I've seen, I know people who built something and then sold it already. I've seen mm-hmm. a lot of the ex- exits. I've had conversations with the people that are doing the acquiring. I've, I'm in the space now and I've elevated myself to be more than just a host, which is really fun. Mm-hmm. But I got to be honest. One thing I think about every day is how much would it take for me to just walk away? Um, and that's, I think that's something I ask every founder now is what's your number? Cause for me, I don't want to live a crazy lifestyle. I don't want to have 20 Lamborghinis and I don't need a yacht. <laughs> I don't need all that stuff, man. So for me, it's about building generational wealth. So I, I have mm-hmm. to ask you, got your company now is going good. It's going great. What number would it take for the bigger giant to come in? They come to you and say, look, here's our offer. And you just say yes, immediately. What number is that? So... I don't know if I would, for me personally, if I own more than 50% of the company and they said 100 million, I would probably say yes straight away. But for me, I would just about any number I would think about, because for me, it's also not about the money. I actually really love what I do. I'm a huge believer in partnerships. And 
The Intribe mission is to help small to medium businesses and small to medium charity find partnerships, right? Because everybody knows like the Red Cross gets a lot of money. The World Wildlife Fund gets a lot of money. All the big brands and both the for-profit and non-profit do a ton with partnerships, but smaller companies and smaller non-profits could benefit even more from being able to do partnerships easier. And so for me, it's a bit of a personal mission and I'd be mm. happy if I did this for 20 years. I think it'd be very fulfilling. And in oh, 20 years, calcul- I could build a big platform. That was a very calculated answer. I love it. I love it because it's <laughs> truthful is honest. I think mm. for me, I feel the same way where it's, I love the fun part for me. I had like maybe six calls today. I was, I've been sitting in this chair all day on calls and stuff, man. But well, I love thank it. you for it's- staying awake for me. You look like you're full of energy still. <laughs> I love what I do. So I feel privileged in a way to mm-hmm. pay to do what I love to do and mm-hmm. work with podcasters. For me, that's just all I want to do long term is work with businesses yeah. to launch shows and work with the people that are just talking in their garage, having fun. I love it that much to where the, if the right money comes to me, I don't I own the company is cool, but I just want to work with the people. Like I care yeah. about that more than anything else. See, I don't think I'll ever retire and just spend my life playing golf and going fishing and sleeping in. I will work on projects until the end. Now, maybe I'll take three-day weekends or or something at some point, but I I can't see myself ever stop building. And and because I feel privileged because I really love it. And when it comes down to the money thing, I only have one money goal. And it's actually, it's not really a number, although I probably should redefine it every decade or so. But for me, it's to, to have the freedom to live well with me and my loved ones, independent of government decision. I've lived in a lot of different countries. I've been very privileged to do that. And to have the freedom to say, you know what, I don't like what the current government is doing here. I'm going to go move somewhere else. I'm going to move somewhere safer or cleaner, less air pollution, whatever it is, or quieter. I love the mountains. I really love mm. the mountains and with now you can pretty much work anywhere. And from time to time, I dream about sitting in a little cabin on top of a mountain and building a business connected Man. to Starlink. I love how you've defined your version of success and wealth too. That's very unique. Man, this was a great conversation. We could sit here and talk about founders all day. <laughs> but for <laughs> the founders could. that are listening and they want to learn from you, where can they find you? Intribe.com is the primary place. So HTTPS, Intribe. I-N-T-R-I-B-E.co. That's not a .com. It's a .co. Or on Twitter, at Radovix, at R-A-V-I-C-S. All right. I'll link everything down below. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll see you next time. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.